Praise the Lord. I am Rajat and you are listening to Biblical Demand Podcast where we discuss and answer difficult questions raised against the Bible, God and the Christian faith. In the Gospel according to Apostle John chapter 8 verse 32, Jesus said, "And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free." Amen. So let's get started. Welcome to Biblical Demand and today our guest is Dr. Peter J. Gentry. It's a joy to have you here, sir. Thank you very kindly. I'm glad to be with you. So let us begin with your story. Tell us uh, about your story. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? Well, I, I was, I grew up in a Christian home. My, my father and mother were missionaries uh, in the Philippine Islands. I lived in the Philippine Islands until I was almost six. Um, but I'm, I'm originally uh, from Canada. And when we came back uh, to Canada, one night I was helping my mother uh, dry the dishes, and uh, my father was away. And uh, my I I had a uh, my mother shattered my philosophy of life. So I had a very simple philosophy of life. I believed that it was important to be good, and I believed that I was good. so everything was working well until my mother shattered my philosophy of life and she showed that that I wasn't good and that I and that I would not uh and I would not be given eternal life um because I was a sinner and I had I I I had rebelled against God and so she pointed me to Jesus Christ she pointed me to his death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for our sin and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I was 6 years old. That's great. So uh we know that you were the professor of the Old Testament and you must have heard this question a lot of times, many a times. Even I'm very curious about Genesis, especially first 3 chapters of the Genesis. I love to read about first 3 chapters, how it all happened, how it all started, how all happened. So when we read in Genesis one and verse thirty one that God saw all that He made and it was very good, then where did this Satan come from in the picture? Because we assume that God made everything good. Yes. Either or we can say that serpent was good, but he came the form serpent who became bad. What is the mysteries? I I know there are no definite answer to this, but what is yes. your opinion on that? Well, I love the book of Genesis. In 2021 I was asked to teach teach the early chapters and I spent 8 months explaining the first 3 chapters of Genesis. And uh <clears throat> the a, a lot of Christians are uh cannot accept this answer but the 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 Bible doesn't tell us where evil came from. The Bible tells us how evil entered the world. So a, the Christian faith is not like other religions. It doesn't begin with a big genealogy of angels that goes down to Shaitan and blames all the evil in the world upon Shaitan or Satan. Uh the Bible shows us very clearly how how evil entered our world it entered our world through the disobedience of adam and eve to the 
to the express will of God, but it doesn't explain where Satan came from, and it doesn't explain uh, why he was rebellious against God. The, uh, the church, there are church fathers, there are church fathers in, who have believed that Isaiah 14 is talking about the fall of Satan, and there are church fathers who believe that Ezekiel 28 is talking about the fall of Satan. I did a, I, uh, so, uh, there's a series of videos on YouTube called Honest Answers put out by Southern Seminary, and I did one of those. I did one of those on Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And Isaiah 14 is not, is, uh, the first principle of interpretation is to look at the context. It's talking about the king of Babylon. And it's, uh, what it is, is it, it's a funeral song. It's a funeral song or parody. The Hebrew word is mashal. A mashal involves a parable or a comparison or a parody. Uh, it's based on 2 Samuel 1. So in 2 Samuel 1, you have a funeral song for Saul and his, and his sons. And the author of uh, Isaiah is creating a parody, a parody of this funeral song. And he's comparing the king of Babylon to a Canaanite myth. And in this Canaanite myth, one of the younger gods tries to supplant Baal or Baal the chief god of the pantheon, and he's thrown down for his arrogance and his pride. And so uh, it's a funeral song, and, and it's all about the king of Babylon coming into the underworld, the abode of the dead. And in Ezekiel 28, is uh, uh, also uh, very clearly, according to the context, uh, a taunt against the king of Tyre. And he's compared... He's compared to a, 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 a he's compared to Adam. Adam was a king and priest, and so he's described in kingly terms and in priestly terms. He's described in terms of the garments of the high priest with all the precious stones. Uh, in our book Kingdom Through Covenant, I I, ex, I explain how you can see from Genesis one and two, just from Genesis one and two, that Adam was not only established by God as a king, but he was established by God as a priest. He was a, he was a, a worshiper of God in the Garden of Eden. And so uh, the king of Tyre is, is compared to this, to, to Adam in Ezekiel 28 and his arrogance and pride in turning against God. So uh, as much as we would like to have information the bible does not give us a narrative about the fall of satan uh he just suddenly uh, suddenly there appears in genesis 3 uh this snake who is clearly symbolic of an evil power and this evil power is opposed to god and is and seeks to get adam and eve to disobey god and uh, there's no explanation anywhere in the Bible of uh, where, where Satan comes from. Uh, I mean, uh, we can assume, for example, uh, we, it, there's a passage in Job 38 that talks about God creating the world and all the, 
the angels or the sons of God were shouting for joy. So it seems that the angels were, were there before God created the earth. But we have no information on where Satan came from and, and, uh, and uh, the origin of evil. We, the only thing the Bible tells us is how evil entered the world. By one man, uh, by one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. So therefore, death passed upon all men because all sinned. Romans 5.12, that's a very good, a very clear and concise interpretation uh, of Genesis 1 to 3. Mm, absolutely. That there is no definitive answer in the Bible given. But we know that evil is there, evil is there, and Satan came. Yes. But we do not have the clear answer to that. Yeah. The Bible isn't. The Bible doesn't answer all of our questions. Yes. It, uh, it shows us. It shows us. It show it. We are in a broken relationship with God, and it shows us how that broken relationship can be restored through the work of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't. It doesn't answer many many questions that we have hmm. when we read genesis 1 to 11 that many people believe that it is a literal story some believe it is a poetic or a mytho mytho history so um, what do you think about that genesis 1 to 11 is a literal or poetic or mytho history? i think it's a historical account it's a historical account you know it does it may use it certainly uses figures of speech. It certainly uses, uh, there are, it uses symbols. So for example, the Adam and Eve were naked. Well, for that, their nakedness was, was, was literal. They were literally naked. They had no clothes on. But the nakedness is also a symbol of their innocence. So the text, the text is communicating at a literal level and at a symbolic level at the same time. But uh, I, I take it, uh, 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 there's, a, there's a new book by Vern Poitras uh, on Eden, on Eden, Interpreting Eden, it's called. It's a very good book and it deals with some of these questions. Okay, perfect. So Genesis 1 to 11, it's a literal word of God, not just mytho history or poetic. Absolutely. Yes, and there are people now, there are some, there are some scholars, there are some archaeologists who are even showing archaeological evidence for some of the things that have taken place in Genesis 1 to 11, like mm -hmm. the Tower of Babel. And, and I mean, it's not, it shouldn't be hard to uh, believe in a universal flood. Every, every nation in the world has a flood story. Absolutely. In India, it also has a flood story. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah. So, moving on to the next question is that uh, why do we believe that? Why do we believe that uh, sin entered when Adam ate the fruit, but Genesis says Eve ate the fruit first? Maybe there could be interpretation like that. God gave commandment to Adam not to eat, and Adam passed that commandment to Eve. So, yes. Is it? How do you? Answer that. This this is an extremely important question, and the answer is that Adam Adam is the 
federal head of the human race. The word federal comes from the Latin word foetus and means covenant. So he's the covenant head of the first humanity. Uh, 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 he, he's the, he's, uh, in our book, Kingdom Through Covenant, I have a long explanation showing that when God created the world and he made humans, he made, he, he, he established a covenant relationship. And uh, this is indicated by the meaning of the words likeness and image. I show that in the ancient Near East, the words like, likeness and image indicate a covenant relationship between God and humans on the one hand that could be expressed by the idea of obedient sonship. We're called to be God's obedient son and daughters. And the word image has, uh, communicates the idea of kingship, especially servant kingship. So it's emphasizing the relationship of, of man to the world. So these words likeness and image clearly show that there is a covenant relationship uh, between God and man on the one hand and man and, and, the, and the world on the other hand that can be summarized by the ideas of obedient sonship and servant kingship. And Adam was given the leadership in that covenant community. Uh, this is clear in the Bible because he, uh, uh, God gives names to everything that, that is, God gives names to everything that is created on the first three days. But Adam gives names to everything that is created on the, the on days four, five, and six. And when he gives names to, when he, in the ancient Near East, when you give a name to something, it shows that you have insight into the character of that thing and that you have some kind of mastery over it. So when Adam gives names to the animals, he's exercising his kingship over the world. He's that God called him to exercise. And um, Adam name when, when the woman is created, Adam give, calls her woman, which in Hebrew, Isha is the feminine form of Ish. So he gives her the same name as him, showing that they are equal before God, but he also uh, is the one giving the name. So he's, he's the leader in the relationship. And so, um, so the reason why, uh, uh, the reason why, uh, uh, Sin entered when Adam ate the fruit is because he's the covenant head. And uh, this is obviously the understanding that Paul has in Romans chapter 5. Uh, we could say, what is Adam? Is he just a is he just a pot is he just a biological progenitor? Is that all he is? Well, that wouldn't explain the relationship that Paul draws between Adam and Christ. In Romans chapter 5, Adam is the head of all the humanity in the first creation, and Jesus Christ is the head of all the humanity in the new creation humanity, the new covenant humanity that will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. So, um, so, uh, I, I've done two. I've, I've shown that I've tried to explain this from Genesis one to three, 
and I've tried to show that this is the interpretation of the New Testament as well. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, um, and you know, when you look at the uh, when you look at the account in Genesis three, Adam seems to be right there at the. He seems to be very close by when she takes the fruit, and it doesn't seem to be uh, a great a deal of difference in time when he she eats and then he eats. So, uh, but but the point is, he's the he's the uh, he's the covenant head and mediator, and so the responsibility falls upon him, and he should be blamed for this. Yes. Great. Um, okay, so so we read that when the fall happened, Adam ate the fruit, Eve ate the fruit. Now we see that how the story goes on, and we see that God is intervening and He's keep giving the laws and the commandments to the people. Um, so the the question is, if man cannot be saved through the laws and commandments, then why God did gave the commandments? Yeah, I mean, right. Yes. Christ came at the right time. We believe that he came 2,000 years back. Many questions that why didn't he came when Adam sinned? He should have come that at that time. Why so many laws and commandments we had to go through? Yes, well, this is an, uh, this is an excellent question. And I deal with it at, in great depth in our book, Kingdom Through Covenant. Um, first of all, the law was never given was never given so that people could be saved. It was given to uh, it was given to Israel after God had delivered them and rescued them from Egypt. So it, it was a covenant. It was a covenant given to Israel who were already redeemed. They were already saved. It was given to show them how to live in the land in in relationship to God and in relationship to each other. So that's the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer is one of the things that's happening in the in the storyline of the Bible is that God is showing that humans are not very good covenant partners. So uh, if if you're in a co if you're in a covenant relationship, a relationship of commitment, you're committed to each other, you're devoted to each other, you're loyal, you there's faith there's trust, there's obedience, it's a covenant relationship, it's not a business relationship, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a marriage where you're, you're in there for life. Um, you, first of all, you have um, God creates Adam and Eve, and then it, you know, the story goes down the toilet pretty quickly, chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. Then God makes a new start, God makes a new start with Noah, and as soon as Noah gets off the boat, we have this story of the drunkenness of Noah. We see that he's not a very good covenant partner. And then uh, God calls Abram, and uh, and uh, he and and uh, and he and he enters into a covenant relationship with Abram. But then Abram goes and uh, sells his wife out, you know. And God has to say, "Look, Abram, walk before me and be blameless," you know. You. You can't have a relationship with me unless you're going to have some some moral standards here. And uh, so 
the Bible is teaching us that humans are not very good covenant partners, and that's one of the purposes of the law. Paul talks about this in, in Romans and Galatians and other parts of the New Testament. The law came to reveal our sinfulness, to show us that we're not very good, we're not, we're not faithful, we're not loyal, we're not committed to the covenant relationship, we're prone to fall, we're prone to fall away, we're prone to go our own way, and 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 disregard God and his and his instructions for our lives. So um the the law the law was never given in order so that a group of people could be saved. It was given to a people who were already saved to show them how to live. And it and one of another purpose of the law was to show them that that uh, in and of themselves they are unfaithful covenant partners and only God so you see this let me let me sh let me show you this in Deuteronomy chapter 30 let me see if i can find this very quickly Deuteronomy chapter 30 um uh okay um, let's see where is it where is it in chapter 29 uh he he says that god has not given you a heart to know Okay, it, chapter 29, Deuteronomy 29, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So, and late in chapter 30, in chapter 30, he says that in the future, God will circumcise their hearts. So uh, it's a figure of speech. Circumcision is a, is, a, is a ceremony or rite or ritual where they cut off the foreskin to show that they are completely devoted to the service of God. So circumcision was used in ancient Egypt. Only the Pharaoh, only his chief officers and his chief military people were circumcised because only they were totally devoted to the service of God. But in Israel, all the everyone is circumcised because the whole nation is supposed to be devoted to the service of God. And yet, their hearts are not devoted to God. That's the whole point. And so uh, they, they need they need to go through a period of learning. The history of Israel is going to show them that they need God to sovereignly come and change their hearts. Yeah, absolutely. M many of the people ask this question is that how the story of Israel, history of Israel is relevant to us today, to like someone sitting in India. Why should I bother to read the history of Israel? You know, maybe in Africa, people must be asking the why should I care to read about the history of Israel? Uh, so because uh, definitely it connects to the new testament so yes. why you know so well, israel what, is... what happens is um paul explains this in romans 3 and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll i'll read i'll read this verse romans chapter 3 um He says, now we know that what, this is Romans 3, verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, 
so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Well, how does that work? It says that the law speaks to those who are under the law, so it's only addressing the people who are in the covenant relationship, but in reality, every person becomes guilty before God. How does that work? Well, the, the only way that can work, the only way that can work is that Israel has stood the test for the whole world. So if you, if you create a human, if you create a group of human beings who have all of the advantages in the world, all of the intellectual advantages, all of the good, every, who, they have, they have all the physical, all the physical things. They, they have good bodies and good families and, and they have the best things in the world. You give them the best, the best of everything. They're emotionally healthy. They're, you give them the best of everything. And what, what happens? They're not good covenant partners. So, mm. so Israel's, Israel is a, is a witness to the whole world that, that none of us are, are faithful covenant partners to God on our own. Absolutely. Despite having all the resources, we are not the good covenant part. Yeah, Israel stands the test for the whole world. There's, mm. Israel is showing the world that if God gives, the, gives every opportunity and every blessing and every advantage, uh, human part, humans are not going to be good covenant partners. Mm. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And and when we read the Old, Old Testament canon, uh, it's called Tanakh, uh, Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. So, who is there? A individual or a group of people who decided the order, like Genesis, then Exodus, Leviticus. Yes. So, how it well, all happened? Yes, uh, I want to keep this. I want to answer as briefly as possible because this could be a long, a long mm -hmm. discussion. But. Um, the, first of all, uh, we need to realize that the arrangement in the Hebrew Bible or Jewish Bible is different from the arrangement in our Bibles today. The, uh, the Hebrew Bible or the Jewish Bible is divided into three sections. Torah, T stands for Torah, the law or the Pentateuch or the first five books. And as you pointed out, Tanakh, N, stands for Nevi'im, the prophets. This is divided into two sections. The former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. The latter prophets, uh, the original order, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve, or actually Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and the Twelve. And then uh, all the rest of the books are in the writings, uh, and um, the uh the writings is head is uh, is divided into two parts: his, history books and books that are not history. So, first of all, I want to explain the the rationale behind this arrangement. In each of the book, in each section, there is history plus something else. So, in the in the Torah or Pentateuch, there's history plus laws. So the name comes from the something else. In the second section, there's history plus prophecy. The name comes from the something else. In the third section, there's history plus writings. 
the history books are Daniel, Esther, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. And the, um, the other books are Ruth, Psalms, Job, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, A Song of Solomon, uh, Lam Lamentations. So, um, so that each section has history plus something else. And, uh, the oldest arrangement that we know of is, is a, is a saying, a rabbinic saying in the Babylonian Talmud. It's called Baba, it, the, the source is Baba Bathra 14b. Baba Bathra 14b. And, uh, it's, it's a baraita. A baraita is a saying that comes somewhere between the first century and 240 AD, 240 CE. So, uh, it's a very, er it's, it's very early and it gives the, the order that I, it, it, it gives this order. And what happens is the history books are arranged chronologically and the other books are arranged in order of size. So, so in, in Bababath for 14b, in the prophets, you have Jeremiah, because that's the longest text. Ezekiel, that's the second longest text. Isaiah, that's the third longest text. And then the 12 minor prophets are put on one scroll. And that's the fourth. So the history books are arranged in order of size. So the, the history books are arranged chronologically. And the other books were arranged in order of size. Now, if we go... The, what you might ask the question well why was this why why was where did this arrangement come from well um when we, there's a book there was a book written about 200 bc but called the wisdom of jesus ben sirach or uh ben sira or ecclesiasticus it's it has different names and it was translated into greek around 130 BC by the grandson of the guy who wrote it. And in when he translated it, he made a preface. So when you translate a book, you get a preface from the translator. And in the preface, he talks about the law and the prophecies and the other books. Three times he talks about the law and the prophecies and the other books. So this threefold division was goes back to the second century bc if not much earlier it, it it may well go back to the time of ezra and nehemiah but we don't we don't have exact evidence uh -huh. but um but uh we know that there was this threefold division and then we know from baba bathra 14b how the books were arranged before before uh the invention of the book so for example, we have this is what we call a codex. Uh, co co the codex, the, the kind of books that we have today, were invented between the second century AD and the fourth century AD. Okay. So before that, the Jewish people used rolls or scrolls. So the Bible would be an armload of scrolls, and <clears throat> it it's very pot the the scrolls were kept in the temple uh this is standard all across the ancient near east temples were used as libraries so the scrolls were kept in the temple and if there was a an arrangement 
they were arranged on the shelves. And so everyone would know the arrangement because the arrangement was there on the shelves. After the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, there was no temple. And, and that's why this tradition had to be put into writing because, uh, because it was still a collection of scrolls, but there was no, no temple to show the arrangement. So that's my explanation. That's pretty uh, convincing, and I I think um, uh, as you mentioned that the Jewish people have the different order as the English Bible we have and the different orders, right? Yes. So the order that we have today comes from uh, seems to come from the Septuagint, and it's uh, it's based on genre, law, history, poetry, prophecy. So they've arranged the books by genre and not according to the arrangement in the Hebrew Bible. When you say they, they means the, uh, I mean, the, uh, the Jewish people or rabbis Christians. or? The Christians. Okay. Our then it Christians. was translated into a Greek Septuagint, right? Well, uh, the, 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 the Bible was translated from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek in the third and second century BC by Jewish people. But the oldest manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts are Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus. Those are the oldest manuscripts and they're not Jewish manuscripts, they're Christian manuscripts. So they're showing us how the Christians, they're showing us the Christian arrangement, they're not showing us the Jewish arrangement. Jewish, absolutely. And related to this question is we found about the Cairo Geniza text. Yeah. So, right, the story I have heard is like that uh, there was a um, synagogue in Cairo, Egypt. They wanted to expand that synagogue. So when they expanded the wall, they found some passage and it was filled with yeah. a lot of scrolls. So yeah. is that right? Is the story goes like this? or yeah, how so, authentic is um, that? when a book is when a book is worn out, when a book is worn out, or a scroll is worn out, the Jewish people don't throw it out. Their Jewish practice was to put it into storage. The Hebrew word, the Hebrew word to store away is ganaz, ganaz, and geniza is the storage place. So it's like it's like in the in 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 the United States of America when a flag is worn out you don't put it in the garbage there's a there's a there's a proper way to uh to uh, to deal with it so when the Jewish people when their books were worn out they stored them away in a storage place and the and the Hebrew word geniza means a storage place well in in the eight in, in the 1880s and 1890s they uh they 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 discovered the the man uh, all the manuscripts in the in the geniza of the old jewish synagogue in cairo and these manuscripts that were stored there are from the sixth century to the 19th century wikipedia says there were over four hundred thousand uh pieces fragments Fragments of 400,000 documents, about 25,000 of these are biblical texts. And most of these texts, as far, most of these texts 
there's a lot of still have to be studied, but most but the answer is they're they're just like our Masoretic text. They're like our Tiberian text that we have today. So we have um, from the Cairo Geniza about seven manuscripts that come from between 300 and and 700 A.D. And they're all exactly like our later Masoretic text. So the Cairo Geniza is important because it shows the faithful transmission of the text. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good, um, so I got the meaning of Cairo, or uh, Geniza, Geniza means the storage of and this place yeah. where you keep the, again, this is the uh, series of uh, transmission that from this Cairo Geniza text that we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? So it, No, the Dead like, Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls are from, uh, from the, the Judean desert of Israel. Qumran, Qumran yeah. caves, right? Yeah, the, the Cairo Geniza are, is a different set of documents. Uh, they're from, they're, they're from the, uh, this old synagogue in Cairo. Most of them are in the Cambridge University Library today. And, uh, there's a catalog of all the biblical texts produced by Ben Uthwaite in four volumes. You can have, you, if you, if you go to that, you can, there's a complete, a com an exhaustive description of all the manuscripts, 25,000 uh, fragments of biblical texts. <clears throat> wow, that's amazing. Uh, so moving on to the last question, which I ask my every guest that, uh, what advice would you give to the young Christians or Christian youth who are influenced in this internet age by culture, philosophies, and other worldviews? how to you know stay on the right track yes well um the uh i've spent my life training men and women for ministry um and uh a, a good part of that is teaching them greek and hebrew because if they uh every generation has to be able to go back to the sources to uh to determine if what they're being taught is true that one of the difficulties today one of the difficulties today with the internet is you it's very hard to know what the sources are where is this information coming from how reliable is it and uh, uh can it be verified and uh, the thing that i would emphasize for christian young people is You've got to spend a lot of time reading and studying the Word of God, studying the Scriptures, so that the Bible shapes your worldview. The Bible has to shape your your outlook on life. And uh, that, for I told you earlier that um, in 2021, so that's now almost two years ago, I was asked by the church leaders of the church where I was to. Uh, Go, teach the early chapters of Genesis, and I spent eight months on Genesis one to three. Uh, uh, so eight months is like a four, four times uh, eight. It's about it's about uh, thirty lectures, thirty lectures on those three chapters, and all all of our foundations, all of our foundations are in are in those chapters, 
and if what you believe about the first verse of the Bible will determine how, what you believe about the rest of the Bible. So, so it, it's uh, and one of the things that we need to realize is whenever there's whenever there's a new technology, there's a new morality that goes along with it. So we have to be very careful as Christians to see what the what the impact of of this new technology is on our lifestyle. Absolutely, I think this is this is a great advice that um, first we need to throw ourselves into the scripture and let us not consume. Uh, if we are consuming some content, so we need to verify where this source is come from and where it is come from, right? Just to stay yeah. on the right track. Yeah. So if you notice when you're when you ask me a question, I I give you the answer and I tell you my source so that you can go check it out for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So it was a really a great conversation with you, sir. And uh, I mean, the, the, all those questions which I prepared was answered. And I believe it will help the listeners as well.